another Mark Steiner podcast here as we uh, launch into a series of conversations we've been having about the future of our schools here in Baltimore City. Uh, and this is on the heels of the comments of the governor, the back and forth about money and how money is being spent, uh, money that has to do with money being given back by the city. The questions I asked the governor at our Annapolis summit, which many of you heard, many of you were there. Uh, we are joined today by two journalists, one in studio, one by phone. We, in studio is Jessel Noor, who is the education reporter for Real News Network. Uh, Liz Bowie, who is the education reporter for The Baltimore Sun. Good to have both of you here with us. We bring for the first time in our show Joseph Kane, who is president of the PTO of the Waverly Elementary Middle. Good to have you in the studio, Joseph. Good to be here. And also by phone is Brittany Oliver, who is director of Not Without Black Women. And Brittany, welcome. Good to have you with us. Thank you for having me, Mark. So we, you know, when I had the conversation with the governor at Annapolis some the other week, we went back and forth a lot about the money and the money being given back and the money given. And, and Liz, let me just ask you to, to really leap into this for a moment with us, because you outlined this pretty thoroughly about what the reality was about why there was such a problem with the money in the city being given back, why there was such money in, in, in issues with uh, heating, and, heating and maintenance, and what the root of it is. And it's not as simple as either the city nor the governor portrayed from what you've been writing. Uh, correct. I, I think there's plenty of blame to go everywhere. Uh, the school construction dollars flow from the state to school districts um, over a series of years. Um, so projects are funded not all in one year usually, but over two or even sometimes three years. Um, in, in effect, some school districts need that time to get their, you know, plans together to do whatever they're going to do, um, a renovation, uh, putting new HVAC in, building a whole other school, whatever that project is going to be. Um, but the city is disadvantaged um, by the fact that it does not have a lot of cash on hand. So. A school system like Baltimore County, which is growing rapidly and which um, has some, some ad additional money that they're able to put into school construction, will be able to forward funds, in other words, fund those projects as quickly as they can, knowing that they, they will be essentially reimbursed by the state over a series of years. The state, the city, on the other hand, has to gather those the money over a couple years to get enough money to do the project because it doesn't always. It's only getting seventeen million dollars from uh, the city government to help with construction um, and repairs. Um, the the uh, county, on the other hand, has been giving anywhere between one hundred and fifty million to one hundred ninety million. Uh, per year to the county school system for school construction. So, again, before I turn to Jess on the others in the studio here, um, what's the reality from your perspective when, they, when we talk about mismanagement versus how money is spent or not spent? Um, let's just take this whole question, why, we, why money was sent back and what it had to do with the maintenance and HVAC systems why they weren't able to be done, what's so different about Baltimore than other communities. Is it, is it in fact, is it more than or just that the city doesn't put money in? So um, one of the things that happened was that because 
Baltimore wasn't able to fund the projects up front, they had to wait to get the money to do a project. But by the time they had gotten the cash from the state to do the project, the project often cost more. So what they did was they had to give that money back to the state. Um, it was put into a reserve fund for them. But what essentially happened was this money, there was this sort of recycling of funds that kept going, um, and they were not getting ahead as other districts were able to. I think that the state was reluctant to give them a lot of money up front um, because they had been very slow to get projects off the ground. I think there was some disorganization um, years and years ago. There had been a lot of disorganization. They hadn't been able to fund projects, so the state was put in the position of giving them money that then didn't get used for that year or the project never got started. And that money could have been given to another school system and used that year. So they got sort of, uh, so they, in fact, extended longer and longer uh, the number of years it took for the city to get the, the cash. Um, Sonia Santelises came in and, said, and went to the state and said, this is just not working for us, and we are getting further and further behind. Um, we need the money up front. Um, so, in fact, before all of the heating issues started, um, the state had agreed to fund all of the city's projects in one year. And, in fact, um, this coming school, this coming fiscal year, that's how they will be funded for the city. So I think that much of the problem has already been resolved in terms of the, the structure by which the funding is handed out from the state. Jessel, go ahead. Just Jessel Noor, real news. Yeah, and um, to sort of piggyback on that, like the the if you step back for a minute, um, you know, I think it's it's really interesting that Hogan is using this this complex uh, this complex issue that's been known about that's you know that that's been worked on, and as Liz just mentioned, you know that might not this is something that's been a, a known problem in Annapolis. I find it really interesting that he's using this as sort of another bludgeon. To hammer the city schools and to help, you know, to advance his narrative that it's not about the funding, it's about accountability. And it's, you know, not the first time that uh, politicians have used this to go after um, the public school system. And I'm happy to talk about the history of that, that sort of these urban schools don't lack funding, it's about mismanagement. But, um, you know, Hogan also says, you know, the school system has gotten record funding, which is true. This, this, you know, and during Hogan's administration, the school, you know, funding to the schools, Baltimore schools has, has increased. Funding to the state schools has increased. But the, I think the, the sort of the uh, elephant in the room here mm -hmm. is that after O'Malley froze the increases mandated by Thornton in 2007 to, to address a uh, almost $2 billion budget deficit, that, you know, that since 2007, um, according to the state's own calculations, Department of Legislative Services in 2015, Calculated that that was costing the city some two hundred and fifty million dollars per the year. Schools that, yeah. that they were not getting. Yeah, not getting to the school system, and so um, you know the, the money we're talking about, whether it's sixty million um, over nine years, or you know Hogan giving um, an additional two point five million this year, increasing the contribution to city schools by twelve million. It's a drop in the bucket to what the city schools is missing out on 
because of uh, a decision by O'Malley and a, and a fix not being presented in the legislature in this in the last decade. So, and it, let's just take a step backwards, and then I'm I'm going to bring my, the other two guests in here and, and um uh in, to kind of talk about what that means politically, also for our kids, and bring Joseph in. But so, what is the history of that? I mean, what? How do we determine how much the city schools need, yeah. and, and and where would that money be going? So this was, this became this became a this came to the forefront in the 1990s. The ACLU of Maryland and the Baltimore City Schools sued the state. Um, then Par- then Governor Paris Glendening, a Democrat, he he repeated the same refrain that Larry Hogan is using now. He countersued. He had a countersuit against the city city school system and and the ACLU, saying it wasn't about funding. It's about mismanagement. I remember all that. We had those debates on my radio show in the 90s with yeah. Governor Glenn Denning. I remember that well, yes. And uh, the courts, you know, courts found that the state was failing to do its constitutionally mandated duty of giving adequate funding to Baltimore City schools. Um, the response from the state was the Thornton Commission, which, which revamped the funding formula statewide. They weren't going to just fix Baltimore schools. They're going to address this for the whole state. And um, and so you had uh, starting in t- 2002, 2003, you saw an increase of funding to Baltimore schools. And then um, it was also uh, part of that increase was pegged to inflation. And that's where O'Malley came in in 2007 in during the Great Recession. And he he froze those those increases. And so that's where you see this massive structural deficit that Baltimore schools is facing today. Now, let me, Liz, unless you have something to add, I'll turn it over to the guest. Some, just, go ahead. Can I just say, though, that um, what you've just been talking about is the operating budget, and what I was talking about was the capital budget. So none of those operating funds have generally gone towards um, uh, renovation or construction of schools. And, in fact, you know, the, the amount of money that's coming from the state to the city in terms of school construction dollars are um, uh, pretty comparable to other districts. The other thing is that the state is funding 93% of the cost of school construction in Baltimore and far, far less in most other counties. Am I wrong about this? This is what a couple of state senators have said to me, and then I'm going to let the other guests jump in here, is that the, the 2020 formula that was put out by the state meant that the school system had to put in money into the reconstruction of our schools and construction that came out of the operating budget. That's where, the, that's where their money came from. Isn't that, isn't that part of the problem? I mean, yes, in the effect that the 21st century school, and, you know, I've sort of left out the 21st century schools issue because that is above, you know, the money that that we've been talking about. Um, so the, the city schools did commit to to um, giving the state $20 million a year. Um, it, it varies depending on the year, but um, that didn't have to come out of their operating budget. It could come out of the money that the city is giving them for school construction. I mean, yes, it is coming out of the operating budget, so yes, it has an effect, but in general, the, the money that's going into repairing heating systems is not coming out of the operating budget. It's coming out of um, uh, state state and city dollars that are, uh, you know, just 
for capital expenditures. But one of the things that Senator Ferguson said on this program the other week was that uh, uh, the state Senator Ferguson was that money, the, the way the money's been spent, the money's coming out of the operating budget because there was no money for construction mm -hmm. in city schools, so they had to take away from operating budgets and instruction to put into into schools, then they had to switch that money up because they couldn't they could they couldn't plan properly. If the governor wanted to have air conditioning put in, so they had to put that money they were putting into furnaces, out of furnaces, and into air conditioning. So they were like in a catch twenty two, is what how it was described to me. Yeah, right. And and the um, several of the layoffs that have happened over the last several years have come, you know, have impacted um, the 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 departments that would handle the construction and and that are involved in that as well. So. So let me, let me turn here to Joseph and then to Brittany. So how does that? So talk about that as a parent, as somebody who's politically involved in our schools and with our children. You have four kids in our public school system, right. middle and elementary, right. right? You're president of the PTO at Waverly. Right. So, so I mean, you know, from a parent perspective or a parent activist or um, organizer, you know, we, we look at finger pointing. Or we wake up in the morning and see there's no heat in the schools, and then everyone is pointing fingers at somebody else. Um, and nobody's taking accountability or providing solutions to, to uh, what's happening. And so, you know, parents in Baltimore um, historically have faced all type of barriers that, you know, prevent them from in, uh, taking the time to really understand the minutia of uh, funding and operating budget versus capital budget and so forth. And we're looking for the people that we've, you know, put in charge of our schools, our, our children, to kind of take the time and, and work it out. And so it's kind of frustrating when we, uh, we, we see the finger pointing happening. Um, and then there's the component of the kids. Like, you, children are missing days of school um, due to the finger pointing. You know, um, our officials have known since probably before, but, you know, as becoming a, a more informed parent, you know, the 2012 Jacob Report, you know, kind of outlined the funding needed to redo and fix Baltimore City Public Schools. Um, for, uh, you know, lay, lay parent, how do we fix that? Why hasn't it been addressed up until this point, you know? Um, and that's what we kind of stand like. We want somebody to take responsibility, get our children back in school, and provide them with the adequate education that they not only uh, need but deserve and should have here in Baltimore. Uh, one of the things that we're doing is trying to organize parents and make them more aware of uh, – what these processes look like? How do uh, how does parents how do parents being involved um, kind of move things in schools? So we, we have a philosophy, right? You organize parents at a local school to kind of take put the power back into the parents' hands to kind of start penetrating these barriers that have prevented them from kind of being involved in years past, right? And so as they become more empowered, we create these networks of schools who kind of say, "Hey, hold up." We now know what the Jacobs Report is, and we want to point out here why hasn't this been done. And then we can turn to our local leaders, elected officials, and say, hey, you know, this, you, we're, pulling the, this, we're pulling the wool back from over our eyes now. We see what's going on, and we may not know everything, but you're going to take the time to sit here and explain to us why um, are these things happening and what are you going to do about it. And one of, you know, one of my goals as an active citizen, like Mr. Hart like to say, uh, is how do we educate more, how do we inform more parents to create this coalition of uh, parents who are going to penetrate the system of being disenfranchised. Now, Brittany, before I jump into these, I have some other questions. You want to jump in with a comment there? Thank you, Mark. Uh, so, I, um, you know, I, I think that what's been said so far makes, um, you know, makes, you know, a lot of sense. But I do want to give some context, you know, give a little bit of a, you know, 
I guess a little context to why why a lot of you know these conversations have come up and, and what's actually happening in Baltimore, right? Um, and you know, even when it boils down to you know kids, you know kids being in schools without teeth, you know this is not an isolated you know incident, right? Like these, there have been um, you know many many examples you know over over a period of time that that shows that. <laughs> you know, we have some serious issues in Baltimore City. So, um, you know, the heating issue is a part of a larger uh, problem of, you know, institutional structural racism. Uh, You know, structural racism is basically a system in which public policies, institutional practices, cultural representations, and other norms work in various and often reinforcing ways that perpetuate uh, you know, racial group inequity. Uh, it, it identifies, uh, you know, dimensions of our history and culture that have allowed privileges associated with whiteness and disadvantages associated with color to endure and adapt over time. Uh, structural racism is not something that a few people or institutions choose to practice. Instead, it has been a feature of social, economic, and political systems in which we all exist. So when you think about a city like Baltimore, where 23.8% of households in Baltimore City are led by single women taking care of children, um, you know, you really got to think to yourself, uh, you know, in a predominantly black city, why are the, why are our kids sitting in, cold, in schools with no heat? Uh, and so forth with Not Without Black Women, one of our, uh, we, we, our involvement um, in, includes a couple of things. One, uh, for the, the Baltimore City Public School Board meeting that took place, uh, you know, a couple, uh, about a week ago or so, our goal was to help pack the room, so uh, get out information to parents and children and, and advocates, um, you know, to, to show up and, to, you know, to have their, uh, their questions at uh their questions answered. Um, the second was to help amplify efforts to help attract national media attention because uh, both people who are on the ground were talking about the about kids being in cold in the, in the cold schools. However, things really start to move. You started to see little bits and pieces of changes here and there once it started to reach national media attention. Uh, the third goal was for uh, us to register people to vote. Uh, in which uh, Joseph had joined with us on those efforts as people were walking in to the door. Right. Uh, and then we and then we also uh, made it. We we made it a. Um, we decided that we were going to decline uh, testifying ourselves as and in, um, in media interviews so that we could keep the focus on parents and their children. You know. So, um, but I just wanted to give you know a little bit of context around why these types of issues are, are happening. And uh, the problem that we're seeing in Baltimore City is, de- is decades, you know, decades upon decades old. So I'm, I'm appreciative at least that, you know, we're at a time, we're in a new year, um, and, you know, we're running, we, it's, we, a couple years after the, after the Baltimore uprising, we're in a critical time right now in a moment to really make some concrete changes. So let's talk about what, what the, where this leads us. I mean, so... One of the questions that I always ask um, political leaders in Annapolis when we have our Annapolis Summit 
and other times is this a lot of people don't want to address the fact deal with the reality that this is a question of money and where does the money come from i mean if schools in baltimore city are underfunded to the degree that we're saying they're underfunded quarter of a million dollars which is what you quarter of a billion is, what, billion. is what the state did the i say state a million I'm in, I'm in billion the state found a year in 2015 yeah so how does that so, so what do you do with that what do you do with that in both i mean in, in as politically let's start start there so what do you do with that politically if that in fact is where that is and the state is also facing a structural deficit and they uh, and it's an anathema to them to think about raising taxes so where do you all think this goes politically what does that what does that mean for the future of the city schools i mean i think one of the things that was done in baltimore county I think they're a good example of a school system that had similarly very old buildings. Um, they had just as many unair-conditioned schools uh, six or seven years ago as Baltimore City. Um, they also had, you know, were growing really fast, so they had a lot of needs, many overcrowded schools, um, and they just decided to do way more bond issues. So the uh, county government has spent about a billion dollars over 10 years on their schools, on their their facilities. Um, and they've really made a dent. And I think, you know, one of the things that the city has not done is that they haven't committed a um, significant amount of bond money um, in, in that kind of way, um, as Baltimore County has, uh, and I'm not saying that they have the ability to do that, but they—I I don't know that they don't have—they couldn't raise more bond money. I, I think a really good example of this, I did a little—I um, just looked at one year in terms of projects that came out, school projects that were done in 2017, um, um, and in Baltimore County. Um, with state funding and county funding, they renovated two schools, started building four new ones. Uh, I mean, sorry, built a brand new school and started uh, building four others on property um, where there was an old school and they were building a new one and then they were going to raise the old one. They, and they air-conditioned nine schools. Um, in comparison, Baltimore City that year um, had 30 of projects approved, but they were only able to do, um, you know, two new roofs um, and seven and, and, and several um, HVAC systems and some, I think there were... Um, three schools that got new windows. There were right. four elevators put in. But you can see it's just very small potatoes compared to essentially, you know, five new schools and nine air-conditioned schools in Baltimore County. And so I think if there was a way to just ramp up, uh, you know, the get the bond money out there and ramp up the city school construction dollars, it would help a lot. I mean, it's not going to happen so, overnight, but you could sure start making a dent. So, Joseph, let me let you jump in, and then, Jess, I know you want to jump in on this as well. And, and, and just on a basic level, for us, for you know, from a parent perspective, uh, 
where where's the commitment for me from Baltimore City? You know, we talking about capital budget. You know, I think right now we're paying seven. They pay contribute seventeen million, or maybe additional two million this year. Um, we need more. We we can't go around handing out tips to big developments and not holding our partners accountable who are coming to invest in Baltimore City. I think our um, our local leaders can do a job, better job at advocating for the resources we need here in Baltimore City, especially when we're looking to bring big business to Baltimore. Attach something to that, that, that way they're adequately investing in our school and into the future of Baltimore City. Jessel? Um Our good friend Lester Spence had a piece in Jacobin this week, and he calculated since the 70s, um, there's been at least Baltimore has written off at least, uh, given at least $3.7 billion in public money. That's direct subsidies, tax write-offs, pilots, payment and lose, and TIFs um, for de- downtown development, right? We spend $500 million on our police department. Obviously, the city has a huge problem with crime, but I think we need to question if we're getting a return on, on our investment. We've spent billions of dollars on policing in the last decade. And, you know, as Jane Miller points out, you know, crime has remained steady. Um, you know, we have to, I think as a city, we have to decide um, whether we're going to work on the front end of this problem or the back end. Are we going to make that investment on our young people today so they don't fall into the criminal justice system? What then, you, so let me ask you to this, this question in the studio here that, that, that what Liz raised. I mean, when you look at what Baltimore County did in terms of, the, of, of bonds to, build, to work in their schools and build them, how do you think that relates realistically to Baltimore? What could Baltimore do? I mean, I mean, I mean again, I think for me, uh, when it comes to what, like what, what else our government can do in Baltimore City, I think it starts back with parents, in my opinion. Where how can we educate, uh, make a more informed uh, parent base here in Baltimore, to where we can start penetrating barriers again, but we can start electing officials who have our interests at heart. I mean, um, not saying that they don't, but. Finance, uh, campaign finance reports came out the other day, and it was disturbing for me to see, you know, thousand-dollar donations from uh, big, you know, big beer around the country pouring into Baltimore City, uh, state and state races. My point is, is that if we had people, in my opinion, that are uh, are invested in Baltimore, looking to um, be solution-oriented and represent us adequately, I think they can cut. They can use. They can come together collectively and find adequate solutions that will fix the problem, whether it comes in bonding or whatever, but, but just being better advocates for the people they represent. And I think that, you know, for example, Port Covington, you know, how do we take them coming to Baltimore, Under Armour or Stagamore, whoever, coming to Baltimore and saying, hey, your building here comes with this price tag, uh, building a new school, building a, a dozen new schools, but how do we uh, kind of leverage the power they have as being a city, letting new businesses come inside here? Yeah, and, um, you know, as you know, Kerwin is... Is the criminal commission, which is cr- going to talk about how much money this, this, the state needs to spend on our schools. Yeah, and that, that's that's replacing um, Thornton. Right. Um, that is tackling this issue of school funding. And the report that you raised in your conversation with Larry Hogan by the firm APA, I think it found that um, the state needs to spend another $1.9 billion. And they got that number by speaking to educators and professionals across the state. Um, Larry Hogan doesn't, doesn't think that's an... You know, he doesn't think that's a a good study. Um, he he said that's right. when you raised that with him. He said that's not true. Um, his commissioner on Kerwin, once that report struck from the Kerwin, Kerwin Commission findings, um, but um, I bet this is an, that raised another issue that that people advocates have raised in Baltimore. 
Um, you know, is Kerwin adequately considering race in its findings? And that's something that, that Brittany talked about a few minutes ago. I know not only are young people in Baltimore come, you know, growing up with, uh, you know, in high poverty, in a high poverty, it's like 84 percent of students are, you know, coming, uh, you know, qualify for reduced or, or free lunches in the city. Um, you know, we're they're living with the legacy of, of redlining, mass incarceration. Um, and that is what's perpetuating this well, the system, the, the, the reality we're living in, you know. And I always go back to this 25, 2015 uh, Harvard study done for the White House. Every year you grow up poor and black in Baltimore, you lose 1% of your net income, you know, th- throughout your life. Um, so I think that is the economic reality we're facing, that young people are facing today. They're literally growing up without hope. So I think the investment, we can either spend it on police and locking people up, or we can spend it on, on investing today to create a better future. So I, I'm, I'm, I have a little, let's do a little Prussian talk here and, and talk about where we think this goes as we round this out. And Brittany, let me bring, bring you back in um, to kind of, kind of sum up for you what you've heard others say in terms of where you think this, this takes us and, 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 yeah, where this takes us. Yeah, so I, you know, I think that there are a lot of, you know, a lot of lessons to be learned, you know, from, you know, this very unfortunate, you know, situation that we've had, we've had to deal with. Uh, however, you know, if you don't have, you know, if these moments in history, uh, you know, don't come up, then there, then how will you know there will, you know, there ever, will ever be problems? So, I think that there's a, a, a lot of different ways that we can that we can move forward. Uh, one thing I do want to you know want to mention that I do believe that we should do more. Not even not just uh, you know advocates and, and officials. I mean everyone. We all we, we all need to do a better job at educating and informing parents and you know their and, and families about. The importance of attending, you know, board meetings and 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 such, because, you know, there's a there's a, a an issue of trust. You know, our city has been 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 through a lot, um, and so there there's a lot of distrust that is happening between, you know, the not just the school system, but you know where you know the government, the just generally speaking, people just do, do not trust that these things work for them. And I and I believe that we play where we come in and play a role is that we we figure out ways to bridge bridge those gaps. I do want to say that, um, you know, in just one week, and and this is based off of um, on some information that Joseph have had, had actually had um, was talking about on social media when we were you know getting people motivated to go, encouraging people to go to the, the board meetings and such. But in just one week. We had a, a consistent information that has started to flow more frequently from Baltimore City Public Schools. Uh, recreation centers were being opened to accommodate communities where schools were having issues. Uh, there was 2.5 million in emergency, uh, you know, money from the state, which is, you know, not enough, but it was it was something. Um, and you know, there's a there's a, a town hall meeting that's scheduled for January 22nd. That's going to be um, held by BCPS. So, I say those things just to say that the you know although the the situation that that took place you know it was unfortunate you know to see our kids sitting in school, cold schools. However, it was the 
gateway to a whole new level of um, of, of of attention, you know, that that brought light to it to an issue. Uh, so, I think that you know, moving forward, there's there's a lot of right now. It seems to be a lot of different moving parts starts happening, and so we just is you know we we have to be committed to to those different moving parts. But most importantly, always remembering, no matter what we're doing, remembering what is the focus. The focus should be children, no matter no matter what the whether it's the media, whether it's officials pointing fingers at each other. It, you know, um, we have right. to remember what the what the goal is, and that's the putting the kids first, and that's how we should move forward. And I think that's where the narrative really becomes important. You're talking about whether the the state, the public, is going to support increased funding to Baltimore. If it's as Larry Hogan argues, it's just about mismanagement. This urban school district is mismanaged. It's not an issue of funding. Then, of course, no one is going to want to put more money into that. It's a black hole. No matter how much money you put in, it's not going to fix it. Um, and that's why I think it's interesting how his stories intersect with what uh, Project Baltimore, which airs on Fox 45, which is fun, which is part of Sinclair Broadcasting. They were just fined uh, a record uh, $13 million by the FCC for putting out fake news. They really um, sort of have this symbiotic relationship where they just, can, without contextualization, they blame the, the city's problems on mismanagement. They refuse to acknowledge the state's own studies that funding is also a big issue as well. Not, not to say that mismanagement isn't an issue, not to say that there's a lot of things that you know, parents want to see improved in, with the school system, how it handles these crises. I think you know, that, is, that is key, but we have to really look at what the narrative is and how that's impacting um, suburban voters, because they're going to have to sign on to this too, and it's an election year. Um, and you know, if, if, if this narrative succeeds that it's all about mismanagement, then you know po- politicians, uh, Democrats and Republicans, will not have to really deal with this you know critical issue. So before I turn to Joseph to, to close this out, Liz, let me ask you as as, uh, uh, as somebody who's covered this for a long time, I mean, where do you see this going? I think much will depend on how hard uh, the parents push and how long they hang in there, and also um, uh, Sonia Santoli his leadership on this issue. Um, but I think a lot depends on how hard the community pushes. And that, that's a really important point. Let me ask this question. So politically speaking, right, since you're organizing parents across the city and where this could go, what I've said to people in the past was, um, and maybe you won't agree with this, but I'm just curious what your thoughts are as we kind of conclude out, that unless parents in Baltimore and, and advocates in Baltimore can make a coalition with parents in other parts of the state where people have a common interest in some ways, Montgomery County, Baltimore County, Howard County, wherever that is, Prince George's County, um, it would be hard for Baltimore alone to get the traction to get what it needs for the schools. Unless there was some kind of coalition between parents saying this, Montgomery County parents saying we need more because we have all these kids who are ESL and we have to teach these kids, most many Latino and Asian kids coming in who don't speak English and we need the money to do that. We don't even have that. And Baltimore City parents saying what they need in our schools and how, how that feeds into one another with this Kerwin Commission coming out and how, how, how you see that being organized politically because that seems to be your bent which is organizing parents. Right. And I think that um, I agree with you that partnership needs to be made here and not just in Baltimore City with parents, 
But um, for example, for starters, once we get past the phase of organizing parents, we need to let North Avenue know that we're their partners as well, right? They spend more time with our children than uh than anybody else does in in, in uh, on an average day, right? So how do we we start start building relationships with them? And I think it starts first with um before we can even go, start going outside the city, how we need to heal and break down and penetrate these barriers that have been placed there, right? So we had to invest more, I believe, into parents in that because of course you know schools we need to educate children. But we need to make that effort out of the Office of Family Community Engagement to invest in parent and in, in community relations so um, that we are real partners in this movement to kind of, uh, I don't want to say wake up, but definitely trying to break down these barriers that have been placed there through, like Brittany was pointing out, systemic uh, and structural racism in our educational system and just throughout Baltimore City. Once we break down those barriers in our city and start building those coalitions, then we can move outside and say, hey, you know, we can get beyond um, the things that kind of separate our cities and our jurisdictions and kind of say, hey, like you said, we had this, these things in common. Let's build on this point to kind of advocate as a state for, for more funding. And I think that first starts um, before we can even, even go outside of the city. We start each individual school and kind of say, hey, um, parents, this is, how you, this is how you get power back to your school. This is how you make things happen. Um, brief short story, when, I, when we were organizing parents last year around getting a new principal mm-hmm. um, at Waverly. At Waverly. We needed a new, a new principal. Um, it was You would think that would be the most simplistic thing to say, hey, we're engaged parents. We're here every day. We know what's wrong with our school. We need some attention here. And it, we were just not heard, right? It wasn't until we had an incident where a teacher was, you know, arrested for hitting a child where it was like, hey, again, national attention was put on the school system. It was like, hey, we need to go ahead and uh, fix something there. And what we're saying is that, hey, North Avenue, out of experience, we're like, hey, we don't, we, we don't want to always put you in a bad spotlight. Let's be partners in this effort to fix our schools here, and let's be proactive instead of reactionary all the time. So I think if we start in each individual school, build parents up, um, inform them of what's happening, and build this coalition across the city of uh, parents, a parent-led movement, movement being engaged, then we can start having one message of like, okay, now we see what's happening, and now we can organize and say, hey, elected officials, the jig, the jig is up, you know. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to sit here and uh, either you're going to do, you know, do what we say or you're going to be gone. You know, that, that, that's just the, you know, the, the, the position we're taking as parents and organizing parents around Baltimore City. Yeah, and, um, you know, so, there's, there is a practical fist, fix that can, that can boost uh, education funding in, in Baltimore across the state mm-hmm. this year. Education trust fund. Casinos and slots were sold to the state with the promise that money would go into education. That hasn't gone there, and that's because that that provision that um, it wouldn't that you know the money is going in, but that just means less state money is being put into schools. There's been over a billion dollars that that the state you know the state schools have lost out on. You know that could have been a huge that could have been a huge boost, and that's not happened. So th- there are practical things, you know, <laughs> straightforward things that can happen that it, you know that. Uh, voters have been sort of hoodwinked on, but right. you know it, we don't have to reinvent the wheel here to That's to make the, make real changes. One of the questions I asked our elected officials on at the Annapolis Summit. This has been a great discussion. I appreciate all of you being part of you just with the voice of Jessel Noor, who is education reporter for the Real News Network, uh, and in studio just heard Joseph King, who is president of the PTO at the Waverly Elementary Middle School. 
Uh, and Liz Bowie is educational reporter for the Baltimore Sun, Britton Oliver, director of Not Without Black Women. And thank the four of you so much for joining us here for our podcast. Yep, thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. This program was produced and edited by Calvin Perry with assistance from our intern, Nora Belbidia. You can download the podcast and more at steinershow.org and on iTunes or on your favorite podcasting app. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for The Mark Steiner Show. And please let us know what you think. Write me at mark at steinershow.org. We'll be back in a couple more days with a brand new podcast.